Greetings and welcome back to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job introductory episode sampler six pack. This is where I'm sharing a good example of each of the key topic categories that we cover here on the show. And this is the sixth and final of the sixth introductories. And this is how we might go about covering thinking. So this is about generating and selecting optimal ideas. We talk about creativity and decision making, how that goes down. And this is a fun conversation we had with Charlie Harari. And he's sharing how subtle shifts in thinking can produce tremendous results for your resilience and ability to continue doing good thinking. So let's hear from Charlie. Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 283 with Charlie Harari. Charlie goes deep into discussing what you can do in terms of your thoughts and reactions to all the little irritations and things and stuff that shows up in your life and work to respond in such a more empowered and helpful and healthy and enjoyable way. So you'll learn, one, how to react to the world in a more empowered way. Two, two innate needs you must fulfill to be satisfied. And three, approaches to growing more every day. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F283. And we've also got a new resource that I'm delighted to share. It's really cool and really free until April's over. And this is for you if you're even slightly considering leaving your current role. We've made an awesome assessment to help. It helps bring clarity by revealing which elements of a job hold the greatest importance for you personally. You can text PROFILE to 345-345 to take the assessment and get your free personalized profile with the results. That's texting PROFILE to 345-345. Now here's Charlie's story. Charlie Harari is an author and internationally known speaker sought out for his lectures, seminars, and keynote addresses on business intelligence, performance management, and personal empowerment. He is the Senior Director of Capital Markets at RXR Realty, a multi-billion dollar real estate company based in New York. He hosts a weekly radio show on the NSN Radio Network and the Unlocking Greatness podcast. Upon its launch in 2015, Unlocking Greatness made it to the top 10 in iTunes' new and noteworthy business podcast list. Harari is an adjunct clinical professor of management and entrepreneurship at the Sims School of Business at Yeshiva University and received his JD from Columbia Law School, where he was awarded the James Kent Scholar and the Harlan Fisk Stone Scholar Awards. Here is Charlie. Charlie, thanks so much for joining us here at How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on your show. Oh, I think we'd have a lot of fun and reading through your book here. Uh, but first, I want to get your take on it. You say that you live on almonds and black coffee. Is that exclusive or to what extent is this true and how is this possible? <laughs> it's not exclusive. I do consume other things as well, periodically. This all started a couple of years ago when I met a friend of mine who was, I would call him the biggest carnivore I've ever seen in my life. And he, he explained to me that he just sort of like found this new thing called being a vegan and it changed his life. And I sort of didn't buy it. And he, he dared me to be a vegan for a month. And I ended up being a vegan for two years. It was such an incredible experience for me personally, but I travel a ton. And when you're a vegan, you don't get a lot of options. And when you're traveling and things are perishable and you're trying to be healthy, you really don't got a lot. 
So I started getting into these almonds and raw almonds, and I would take them basically like in the bag and just take bags and bags. And without milk, I started drinking coffee black. And before you knew it, I was just basically waking up in the morning and drinking black coffee and eating almonds all day. Now, one of the things we talk about in the book is this idea of neuroplasticity and how your brain creates connections. And one of the connections that it creates is things that you do at the same time. It, it <laughs> so what happens over the course of a year, every time I fit into an almond, I'm like, I could use a cup of coffee. <laughs> and every time I had a cup of coffee, I'm like, you know what this would go great with? Almonds. And so basically, I spend most of my day traveling, drinking coffee, and eating almonds. And that's sort of the staple of how I, I survived. And that sounds simple in terms of you don't have to think too hard or get hungry. And so so you're not tired of almonds. How long has this been going on? At least two to three years. Okay. Well, that's encouraging. I graduated into almond butter, which is awesome, which is a whole other world into itself that I almost feel like I'm indulging too much in. But, and you, they don't let you take it on an airplane, so it has limited capacity for me. Oh, yeah. It counted as a liquid gel aerosol? The, yeah. Huh. They, they come too large. Usually the almond oh, butter the size. Size, exactly. So, well, speaking of fun images, you, you know, you've earned a moniker, the Malcolm Gladwell of emotional well-being, and that makes me. I, I love a good metaphor because you can interpret it in so many ways. Like, does that mean you have wild curly hair, or, or how are we to read this? <laughs> well, I, I, when I first, when someone first told me, I'm like, I guess I got to, you know, sort of curl my hair. But w- what happened was, I was when I wrote the book. And I'm a lawyer by trade. I'm not a psychologist. And a lot of the book is based on psychology, but I see it mostly as research and the narrative being around the human being. And that's what lawyers do. We, we digest lots and lots of research. So I would send it to a lot of psychologists and academics and professors say, listen, read this and tell me if this reads right. And they would come back with a very similar line of, hey, this is like Malcolm Gladwell. Are you the Malcolm Gladwell of emotional well-being? And I got that more than once. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? And what the way had they described it was usually, I mean, Malcolm Gladwell was one of my favorite authors. I mean, you know, it's just even thought to be, for someone else to say that is the greatest honor. And, and a lot of what he writes about us, I think, are like, you know, societal issues and socioeconomic issues and things, a tipping point and success in sort of a broader, you know, society type way. And this is sort of what I think they were getting at. This sort of has the same style of a story-based research, but as opposed to being explaining uh, some phenomenon in society, it's explaining how you can be better as a human being, how you can increase your emotional well-being. And so that was sort of the response that I got from some of my uh, colleagues and friends. And so I'm like, all right, thanks so much. I appreciate it. I hope that you buy a million copies and then you can really continue the metaphor. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. If I'm Malcolm Gladwell, then I need Malcolm Gladwell level uh, book sales, please. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you, have your money, you put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> That's good. So, so we're talking about sort of well-being and being better. You've got the word greatness in your book, Unlocking Greatness, in your podcast with uh, the same name, Unlocking Greatness. What exactly do you mean by greatness here? So what I'm talking about greatness is a sort of emotional feeling. It's, it's an intangible sense of empowerment that somebody feels that they're doing what they should be doing. And as a result, there's like an internal feeling of greatness that I feel like I am living a life that's not just average. I'm living a life that's not just survival or good. I'm living a life that I am feeling that great feeling inside me. And, and it's sort of an intangible empowerment feeling. That's what I'm getting at. It's not, and, and in, through the book, we try to make the case that greatness isn't necessarily what the world tells you you are. It's not the medal they put around your neck or the grade they give after your name. It's your own approach towards life. And it exists in a much more of a micro perspective. But 
what I'm trying to get at is a certain feeling of empowerment that people have that they need to tap into and unlock as a way to live their lives in every, in every day of their lives. Okay. So, so this notion, I'm doing what I should be doing. That is nice when you're, when you have those moments. And so please do tell, how does one have more of those moments? So a lot of it comes down to an approach towards life. It's understanding what you have in your mind, understanding that a lot of what you're feeling is really not based on the world around you. It's based on your perception of that world, right? The schema, if you will, is a way in which you process the world. And so a lot of what we're experiencing isn't directly affecting our feelings. It passes through our perspective, our schema. And when you take control of it, first of all, when you know it exists and how it happens and how it works and how your mind works, and you learn how you can manipulate and move and train your mind to make life and your goals more accessible, and also going deeper, you learn about aspects of spirituality and the metaphysical and what giving means and what it does for that intangible thing that many call the soul, you can start to realize that the feeling of greatness is really the opportunities that are in front of you and how you react towards them and your perspective on what's in front of you. And that sort of way of life, and then you just sort of couple upon that, your way your brain works, starts to condition people to see opportunities as, or see challenges as opportunities, and see things that are in front of them as ways to grow and get better, in small micro ways, which then conditions that behavior, which then allows them to feel more empowered, which then sort of creates the cascade of feeling great on a daily basis. Okay. Well, so I'd love it, Charlie, if you could sort of zoom right in. We got these schemas and perspectives and interpretations and decisions and how we're, we're choosing to engage with the stuff that's around us. So maybe you could zoom right in for, let's say, as a professional, just experiencing the work day and something happens. What would be maybe a typical uh, mental response that is sort of common yet suboptimal versus maybe uh, an outstanding interpretation mental response to that same set of circumstances? Sure. So a professional sitting at a desk and they are, they feel subject to the whims and the feelings of their boss or their customers, right? And so their day, basically, they're like a read. It's depending on what's going around them will affect their day. And then their whole internal situation will be impacted by everyone around them. So that's a very difficult way to live your life. When that person sits at their desk, and at first, before they even sit at their desk, there's a certain level of visualization and intention as to what they're doing there, and the desire to get a little better. There's, there's, there's an intention to take their activities and their jobs and to, to adjust it to, to grow in whatever way they can that day. It's not just get through the day, TGIF, right? It's today's the day to be better. Whenever they feel disempowered, what they should be doing is, Ellison, let the feeling go through. I'm not, don't do it on the spot, but ask themselves the following question. What in my belief systems, in my mind, cause me to be disempowered. And there's a whole host of things that could cause that. I'm insecure with who I am. I'm threatened by someone around me. I think I'm not great at my job, and so I may be fired. I am looking for someone else to validate who I am. There's a whole bunch of beliefs that cause someone else's bad mood to impact my mood. When they just do that just for a few minutes, they just think through what their beliefs could be. What happens is they start to realize that whatever goes on around me doesn't have to impact what's inside me. And if they just practice, if they can, every single day, a period of time where they are going to act empowered no matter what, what they'll do is they'll start to condition their minds to react to the world in the most empowered way. 
and that will start to feel more natural. And sitting at their desk over time, this doesn't happen in a day, over time, they'll actually be more resilient and be able to address whatever is in front of them with uh, more empowerment. And that'll make them better at their jobs. It'll make them better in their offices. But more importantly, it'll make them feel better as human beings. Okay, so I'd love for you to expand upon what I feel disempowered. So it sounds like your use of the word disempowered is a little bit broader than, oh, it's out of my control. But but you're like, tell me more about disempowered. Disempowered is the feeling of the, the lack of desire. What, what, this, disempowerment is a whole host of feelings that make you feel like you want to act less. Sad, frustrated. And in each of these things, there's, there's an empowerment aspect and a disempowerment aspect. Uh, but whenever you're feeling disempowered, what usually happens next is you have less energy. You have less desire. You want to disengage from the environment. You want to give up. Now, when you go to work without any of the pre-work that goes on in your mind, without knowing why you're doing what you're doing, without trying to focus on being better at what you do, what happens is the lack of independence of your actions allow you to be much more subject to everyone else's whims because you're only there to get through the day. That already before you sit down on your desk is a total mind shift that puts you vulnerable, makes you vulnerable. And whenever something happens that doesn't give you the validation that you're looking for, it disempowers you. It makes you feel like you want to try less. It makes you feel like you want to disengage, give up. That feeling is just your mind. That has nothing to do with people around you. And for every person that feels that way, someone else says, you don't like what, what, what I did? I'm trying harder. You don't like what I thought? Fine, that's your opinion. And this happens everywhere. And if you look at great people's lives, from academics to theologians to athletes, you will find along the way, lots of people have tried or not intentionally to disempower them. And what got them through it was the feeling of, I am in control of my feelings. And I'm going to push through whether you like it or not. And that empowerment in difficult times, more than their natural capacity, usually is what makes great people achieve things that we all know and recognize. Yes. Whew. It feels like we're really on to something here. <laughs> it's like this is the nexus or the nucleus or the where the rubber meets the road for like a huge cascading set of events or dominoes that could go in one direction or another in terms of like something happens, like, I don't know, let's say that uh, you were in charge of something and then wait, all of a sudden someone else is doing that something. And so your kind of knee-jerk reaction could be like, what the heck, that's bullcrap. They don't trust me with this? Like someone thinks they could just take over my territory? Whatever. So I guess we would call that being in the place of disempowerment. We're just ticked off. We're irritated. We have a sense of being dissed and we don't like it. And so then you're saying right then and there, it's the key is to, is to not ask yourself the question, what the heck is wrong with everybody? <laughs> but instead to ask the question, what is it in my beliefs or within my mind that leads me to feel so angry about the situation? Yeah. And, and I don't mean in any way that people should sort of make themselves into like a mat on the floor that people can just step on whenever they want. Yeah, take it's a great example you brought up, right? You sit at work and someone takes over a responsibility for something, let's say. And you're like, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. And then, then the whole day, it's they don't appreciate me, they don't like me, and I'm not good at my job, and this person's taking... And that's it. That, that's it. Your, your whole day is hijacked by a whole host of insecurities that 
come to the surface that make it impossible for you to be the one to be in charge now, and then only make it hard for you to go to work the next day and the next week, and then it just adds and adds and adds and adds. Wonderful. It happens for two reasons. Number one, most of the time you're not working on yourself, or the person's not working on themselves, right? Usually the insecurity comes because you're not putting in the effort. You're not putting in that level of, I'm the best at my job. I did everything in my power to show the best that I can be, and I am fully confident that whether I win or I lose, this is the best that I have inside me. Usually at work, it's, I did the best that I could have, I got by, and someone else came in, and I don't want anyone to expose that I'm not the best at this. But let's assume that's even the case. At the end of the day, if you've been in the business world for a few years, you know that life is long. And if you're good at your job and you're in a normal, healthy environment, you will most likely be rewarded for it. If not, there are other places that will reward you. The business world is much more dynamic than one person in one place. And when your reaction is disempowering, you become worse at your job. And what you do is, the, see, this is what's amazing. Same thing like with like people that hurt you, right? Someone, someone gets hurt, right? So what do you do? You hate them. Every time they pass by, you feel bitter and you resent them. So this is the unbelievable thing. So what do you do? They hurt you. And you know what you give them for hurting you? You give them the benefit of feeling pain every time they're in their presence. That's how we get back at people, by allowing us to feel pain and disempowerment when they're in our presence. So they get to hurt us twice. So yeah, someone hurt. So as opposed to thinking, okay, what's in my belief system that makes me think that I can't allow someone else to get this credit necessarily? And two... What, can, what did I just learn? This is in the book later on. It's called Deliberate Practice. It's worked by a man named Erickson. It's a lot of Vlad Williams thinking in the 10,000-hour rules based on the research by a man named Anders Erickson who speaks about life as just one huge process of deliberate practice. Every failure you have is ability to round out what you're doing to become more successful. And so you have two people. One person is just, this is it. I'm out. And they're just filled with resentment, rage, and, and, and hurt, and frustration, and insecurity. One person is working on themselves to be more of a giver, to figure out where they can be better at their jobs, to understand what caused this to happen, and is empowered because they know that life is long and they'll get there eventually. And they're totally diametrically opposed viewpoints that are based on your schema. And to be honest, although the first one seems like it's more just, this, the latter one makes you win in the long term, you know, nine out of 10 times. Yeah, this is just powerful stuff in terms of just the implications and it, it's like so subtle you know it's like you could you could go by with your whole life really and, and just not even be aware that you well that you have a choice uh it's just like you know autopilot hijack i am the victim to to this bullcrap and, and and i hate it <laughs> you know so it's like you could totally go down that route readily. And then as opposed to asking the question, I guess I'm wondering, so when you ask that question, what is it in my beliefs? And then you discover something. It's like, well, well, what it is, is, hey, I've got a little bit of a sore spot that I'm, I'm actually not good at spreadsheets, whatever. I'm concerned that really I'm not good at this element, which has now been handed off to someone else. And I feel kind of like a loser because it has been sort of snatched from my area of responsibility. And I just, I'm wondering just to what extent I really have a future here you know, if folks are giving away my responsibility to other stuff. So, so that's just some examples. So yeah. I've done some self-exploration. What is it in my beliefs and, and what's, what caused me to react in such a way? And, and I got some answers. 
what do I do with those? Those are those are kind of hard to fix. Yeah, I, I'm so happy you're doing this, and so and thank you, and and, and your listeners are so lucky, honestly, to have you. Because oh, this shucks. Is real stuff. I mean, <laughs> this is great stuff. This is real. The questions you're asking are the questions, and I appreciate, it, and I'm honored to be on this. Let's let's continue the scenario. This is exactly right. This happens every day, right? You go to being a victim in your mentality, and as opposed to figuring out how I can grow, or to your point, getting underneath the surface of, I'm not good at spreadsheets. And that's part of being a human being and not being good at everything. It turns into the victim mentality. You talk to your friends about it, and of course, they're going to validate you because they're your friends. I can't believe she did that. (laughs) It only creates more neural connections that the victim and people are bad. And here's what happens. You ready ready for this? Your schema starts to see everyone around you is out to get you. So now what happens next week, a new project comes up where there's a nuance that you are good at, but your schema doesn't show it to you because you're so focused on being hurt that the next opportunity that comes by your desk, you totally miss. And as opposed to volunteering or taking on or feeling responsible or coming in with a certain level of, of confidence that everybody can sort of smell and, and, and be aware of, you come at it from a, are you going to appreciate me now perspective? And then it just people sort of feel differently. And without you realizing anything, you're just heading yourself down the road of less. As opposed to saying to yourself, okay, this happened. Wonderful. Where's my beliefs? Someone once told me that, I'll never forget this when I was doing the research. I forgot who said this, but it was a, a mentor of mine said, whenever you have a bad thought, See yourself like a plumber. You walk into a house and there's a leak. The plumber wants the leak because he once there's a leak, you can find the problem. If there's no leak, it's in the walls. Everything may burst at some point, <laughs> right? That's life. You've got bad beliefs. It's part of humanity. Guess what? Not everyone grew up in like the perfect environment. Not everything's perfect. People come up and things are tough. So they develop these bad beliefs, insecurities, and this. And guess what happens? You have a bad thought. You're disempowered. If you don't see it as a leak that you can figure out where the source is from, at some point you're going to burst. And you can burst by either quitting or you know disengaging and just engaging in entertainment your whole life. You can do it by just counting days until Friday and then vacations and just sort of you know using most of your adult life as just sort of waiting to this to, to escape from your daily job, whatever it is that the manifest, manifestation of that. But as opposed to saying, "Hey, wait a second, I get I'm disempowered. How come?" This is an opportunity. What's causing this? Oh, is it this? Is it that? And getting some self-discovery. Because if you get some self-discovery, you know what you can do in today's day and age? You can learn spreadsheets. Yeah, you, right. <laughs> you can, you can. LinkedIn learning, baby. Former sponsor. Come on down. <laughs> you know who does this so well? Football players, right? You ever watch football? Football, every time they do anything, they spend hours in game tape. And why? Because they're like, we're going to win games. And you don't win games until you analyze and overanalyze every single play. And you go to an office and no one's analyzing anything. We're just doing, maybe on a spreadsheet, maybe on a project if it fails. But can you imagine if we treated our lives as important as the way someone treats a football game? Like, can you imagine if the effort that goes into winning a game in a college football season is applied to winning at my life? We would be superstars, all of us. And if, even if nobody knew our names, we would know. We would go to bed knowing that I'm living a different type of life and the empowerment we'd feel by getting up every single day and know that if I get, if I get ice cream, I'm going to love it. And if I get something that's bitter, I'm going to learn from it. That's life. It's addictive. It's awesome. You unlock your greatness and you don't wait for the boss to tell you you're doing well to feel like you're doing well. Charlie, this is, this is potent stuff. I'd love to get your take to on some potential objections here. So let's say you know, you mentioned a bad thought, you know, being disempowered, 
I'm thinking there are some who would respond, hey, all emotions are are telling you something and should be honored and and don't repress yourself and don't sort of rush through the bad stuff that's part of life. It's okay to, you know, uh, be human, you know, and have these feelings. How do you respond to this? I think they're right. It's absolutely okay to be human. This is, this is the joy of humanity and you should definitely not rush through it. I'm the other way. I'm saying you should analyze it. I'm not saying to rush anything. Okay. You know, people, the people that are rushing through it with doing is they're feeling it. They're running to the, to the coffee station and they're, and they're talking about it all day. I'm talking about the totally feeling it. In fact, feel it to the level in which you can understand where it comes from. And absolutely bad thoughts is the beauty of life in a way. Obviously, I'm, I'm staying away from the margins of, of crisis and trauma. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. That's, this is, that. that's outside the realm of this. I'm talking about the everyday disempowering thoughts that we have are opportunities for us to become greater at our lives. And if we see it that way, there's a different way we look at things. Okay, that's great. So we talked about sort of in the heat of battle, something happens. And then uh, sort of afterwards, you want to sit with it. You want to feel it deeply, get to the root of it. And, and it sounds like you're saying, don't rush it. It may take maybe multiple days to really zero in on, on what's really going on there. Is that fair to say? I would say sometimes weeks. Sure. I got to tell you personally, I keep a journal. I write a journal every day. And I spend lots of the pages in that journal analyzing this stuff. And it takes me sometimes weeks to figure out, hey, wait a second. This is why I'm feeling this way. And it's not, there's no right and wrong answer. But this is part of the joy of growth, that you delve into yourself and you get more honest with yourself and you, you come face to face with your greatest insecurities and you're okay with it. And when you're okay with it, it makes you go, you go through life in a much different way. Well, so I'd like to hear about that a little bit when it comes to getting okay with your greatest insecurities. So let's just say we, we've zeroed in on an insecurity that's, that's greater than being bad at spreadsheets. It's like, I feel that my worth as a human being is contingent upon my my usefulness, my productivity, my to-do list checking sort of thing. So that, that's something that I've heard some listeners articulate in different ways at different levels of, of, of candor or depth. So, so let's say, okay, we got a big juicy insecurity that's, that's deep-seated. Well, what do we do with that? Yeah. That's big. My worth as a human being is conditioned upon a certain level of usefulness. Yeah. Or popularity. Sure. Right? Or attractiveness. And, you know, attractiveness. fill in the blank. Or wealth, right? If yeah. I don't get this level of, if I don't get into this college, if I don't, I don't have this many net worth, if people don't, if I have these many listeners, if I have these many viewers, whatever it is that we're doing, right? Okay. We come up with it. And, you know, and if you're writing a book, you, you know, this is the game, right? I think my work is great. And when we went around looking for publishers and we got, you know, no, 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 you know, when you get lots of no's and this is, you're up, you're up against, is there something wrong with me? Right. And when you have that feeling, your choices are either, I'm not enough. I'm disengaging. There's something wrong with me. And I'm going to feel disempowered. Or it's, well, what do I'm doing? What am I doing this for? Why do I need someone else to validate me? What is it about me that needs these many listeners, viewers, net worth, success? Why? Where is it coming from? And as, again, there's no right answer. There's, there's no, this is, that's why the title is The Unexpected Journey. You don't come to an answer. You just walk the journey your whole life. And the journey is, well, where did I get this from? I'm out there giving value, trying my hardest, 
where did I get that? Unless somebody else seems to validate it, it's valuable. And why can't I just go out there and just do my best and go to bed knowing that I ripped every day of a micro tear at my muscle or that I gave more value than I ever took? Why don't I think this way for? And you start to delve into yourself. Why do I need the world to tell me how good I am? Is it, am I worried about my livelihood? Are they going to fire me? Is it because I'm competing? And you start to uncover things about how you think. Again, there's no right or wrong answer. But along the way, you start realizing this is ridiculous. I just made this up. This is not real. Okay. That's the end of it, right? When you unravel it, it's like, this is ridiculous. I just made this up. Yeah. <laughs> That's when you're done <laughs> with that issue of the day until another one shows up. <laughs> and a lot of the way that's how it works. A lot of what we're doing is we, we pack ourselves into this. We create our tension. A lot of our lives is self-focused tension because we're so insecure versus the sense of I have something valuable. And this, by the way, is one of the key core aspects of the book is that greatness is not something you become. It's something you reveal. What you have inside you, the metaphysical part of you, is greater than the physical part of you. And you know it because when we're pushed against the wall, we feel like we have the capacity to dig into a deeper place. We know when we give, we have a piece of us that's beyond ourselves. And when a person goes through life realizing that they have all the greatness that they ever want inside them, and their job in life is to just reveal it, to bring it out, to bring that which is inside them to the outside. You're not waiting for the world to validate you. You're just waiting for opportunities to push yourself to places that you've never been before. It's another way of living, another way of pushing. And when that's your schema, when that's your perspective, you just act differently in the world. Yes, this is good. So let's talk about, I think we talked about in the heat of battle, what happens, how you react and how you should think about it. Alternatively, we talked about sort of, sort of the after action with regard to analyzing it and asking those great why type follow-up questions that get to the the heart of it. You also highlighted earlier a bit of the pre-work before you sit in that office chair to begin with, uh, associated with uh, the why and uh, having a commitment to growth. Uh, What are some of the practices there to to get that frame or that priming going in your favor before stuff even starts happening. Right. So this is, this is based on some of the work done by Desi and Ryan in their self-determination theory, where they speak about innate needs. And we speak about this in the book a lot, but these sort of two out of the three innate needs I spend most time on. One is competence or mastery or significance, and one is connectedness or relatedness. And unless you're fulfilling these two needs, if you're not satisfying these needs, you're not satisfied. And that's a lot of life. When you go into anything, a job, uh, anything you're doing, you have to come in with two frames. One is I'm using this activity to get better, just to get better. I'm sitting at my desk. I've done this 50 times. I wanted to get 1% better. There's a great uh, documentary out there called Tom versus Time on Tom Brady. And he last year he had hired some throwing coach to help him throw like 1% better. And he figures out the technique and like you see him on the screen like go nuts. And the guy's like, what was that? And he's like, I just got 1% better. And like you saw. And and, and his coach turned looked at him and goes, that's what it means to be a world-class champion, that you get so excited of getting 1% better. So when you're at your job, you got to every day be getting 1% better. Every day, even if you're doing the same thing every day, get better at it because getting better at things fills you and allows you to feel like you're moving in that direction. The second thing is connectedness. You got to be connected to people. You got to be giving to people. You can't be taking. And so what, when you're working, you got to be giving, giving to your boss, giving to your colleagues, giving to your customers. So when you walk into that day, if you're focused on how do I get more connected 
And how do I get better at my job? You come in with the intention of success. You're not vulnerable. You're not a sitting duck. You're not waiting for the day to be over. You are excited and you're fulfilling your inner needs of what you need to do throughout that day. And you're using work as a mechanism to fill your needs. And that mentality is what moves people to excellence. And that's the mentality everyone should have, no matter what you're doing and anything you're doing. It's usually in those areas. And then that's how you grow and get better and be more resilient when things don't go your way or more positioned to to take advantage of opportunities of success. Yes. And what I love about all this is that, you know, it's all just in between your ears. You know, it's like, yep. you don't have to say a word, <laughs> you know, uh, but, but people will see it, you know, just based on, on sort of like the fruit that, uh, that grows from what's there deeply. So that's intriguing. I, I'd love to get your take sort of practically, tactically speaking in terms of getting better at things and, and being more connected. Do you have any sort of favorite tips and, and tricks here? I guess I'm wondering specifically for getting better at things. If it's like, you know, I've done this uh, 3,000 times and I'm, I'm frankly kind of bored <laughs> with doing it. And, and I, I think it's, I'm doing it about as well as it can be done. You know, what are some ways you can figure out how you can continue to, to get better? So there's two ways. One is proactive, one is reactive. Proactively, exactly your point. Whenever you've done something a million times, you have to proactively look for things that are harder that move you down the path. If I've always done this job, okay, what else can I do to take on more? And if I can't do it at my work because nobody cares, what can I do when I get out of work? What can I do every single day to take on something, to learn something, to try something, to get good at something? Because I need to spend my days getting good or better at something to feel good about myself. When it comes to the same thing to people, I've always treated my wife this way. My kids, this is who I am. This is the dad I am. Well, no, that's not true. How do I wake up in the morning and see my family, friends, whoever, and try to be better to them? So that's the proactive approach. The reactive approach is the recognition that anytime you're going to grow, growth is packaged usually in pain, small pain. Growth is threatening and growth is painful. It's uncomfortable. And so when an opportunity comes my way that's uncomfortable, usually it's just the garment of growth. And when that kid calls me with this and I don't want to deal with it, or my friend says, how you doing? And my friend says, fine. And I know that I'm going to, if I say, are you sure? I'm dealing with it. Or that opportunity comes down the pike to work on something harder. And I'm like, I don't have to do it. I'll still get paid. When things come your way that seem uncomfortable or painful before you pass, look at it closely. And what you'll find is that lots of your growth is nestled in that. And when you get through that discomfort, because greatness is the product of deliberate discomfort. That's what greatness is. Greatness is uncomfortable. And so when you see your life and you start to be comfortable in the uncomfortable and you start to choose greatness over comfort, you start to push yourself in small ways. I don't mean to do anything massive. Push yourself proactively and then respond more empowered, reactive. All right. Excellent. Thank you. Well, Charlie, tell me anything else you really want to make sure to highlight before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. I think it's just that concept that greatness is micro. And when you're when you're focused on the micro moments of your day to get better and deeper more connected, you won't even realize how much you're gonna grow and how much your brain will condition you for feeling that empowerment feeling. Awesome. Thank you. 
Well, now could you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? My favorite quote is from Albert Einstein. If at first your ideas are not considered absurd, they have no hope. (laughs) All right. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or piece of research? My favorite real study, and I, and I started with it in the book, it, it's so, it, you know, the 1960s, but it was so, it's so pure, it's so perfect. It was the Rosenthal effect. It's Robert Rosenthal walking into a room of teachers and basically randomly picking out students, having the teachers believe that the students are smarter than they actually are. And then that mistaken belief changes the student's performance. It's like the foundation of so many more sophisticated research studies, but to me, it goes back to that all the time. It goes back to that simple study that shows that, like you said earlier, it's between your ears. It's between your ears, and when you fully digest the power of your mind and your beliefs, and you believe it, and you buy it, and that's why when I wrote the book, I tried hard to stick in as many studies as I can. I didn't want people to sort of skim through it and see it as like, some like, you know, maxim that sort of promises that their belief shape reality, but they don't know how that works. And the book, you know, I, I teach this course at a, at a business school and it's, it takes me nine hours of class time to go through all the studies. And that's only just the tip of the iceberg. When you fully appreciate the power of your mind, it's exciting. It's exciting. It's daunting, but it creates an empowerment to how far you can push your life. Oh, excellent. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? One is the, is Gladwell's uh, Outliers. I love that book. I love his approach towards success and how he sort of goes through it. And my other one is a book by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, Flow. I love that book. I absolutely love I actually bought two of them, believe it or not. And the first one I have, and the second one I just ripped out pages and highlighted things and scanned things. I just, I, don't know, I didn't know what to do with myself halfway through that book. It was so enlightening. Beautiful. Thank you. And how about a favorite tool? I think my favorite tool is really my phone, my iPhone. I think it's without it, I don't think I'd survive. I think when I walk out of the house and like, if I forget to charge it and I I have like that panic of I may exist without a phone. And I think we all sort of feel that same way, but I I think it would be my iPhone. All right. And how about a favorite habit? My favorite habit is writing. I think I, I took this on years ago when someone told me that if I would write three pages a day, it would change my life. And I didn't believe them. And I bought a, a, a notebook and I started doing it every day. And I'm writing maybe a page or two of my own handwritten thoughts. And to me, that's sort of my favorite habit. It's a sort of like, to me, like a little bit of like writing introspection and sort of like a prayer almost. Like when I'm writing things, I'm sort of figuring myself out and able to sort of articulate what I want. But spending the time every day writing what's going on inside you and trying to figure out how your mind works it's life-changing. And in many ways, I find myself, whenever I have disempowered thoughts, I find myself grabbing for a pen and working it through in my head through through the paper. And tell me, is there a particular nugget you share that seems to really be connecting and resonating with folks? I think that's like three quick nuggets, I think, that are resonating the most. One is that greatness is inside you. It's not anything you're ever going to get. No one's gonna, And I would even say it differently. No one's giving you a feeling. That feeling that we all want, empowerment, no one's ever giving it to you. And you're never getting it from the world. Just that's how it is. It's not how the world works. It's always the next thing. It's always the next thing. It's inside you. And you got to bring it out. Uh, the second thing is the idea of micro greatness and recognizing that greatness is in the small moments. And the last one is the idea of rituals. That if you really want to change your mind, all you got to do is change your rituals and stick with them. And rituals are, can be really small. Like someone could actually do a ritual for five, ten minutes a day. And over the course of a year, literally change their mind and their life. And just the idea that you can change your life through rituals 
in a micro capacity, and that'll have major implications, is empowering, I think, for myself, and, and people have told me it's empowering for them as well. Now, you say you can change your, your brain and life, five, 10 minutes a day ritual. You're saying not a particular ritual, but any number of rituals will kind of rewire some brain neuroplasticity action. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where people get things wrong, is that they, they live their lives on resolutions, and they just assume that if I you know, resolve to do something, I'll just have the willpower to get it done. And there's great work by um, a man named Roy Baumaster who speaks about ego depletion, but how you still have enough willpower to get through anything that your brain doesn't do already. And if you really want to make a change, you've got to actually change your brain. And you change your brain through repeat, repetitive actions that will change your neuroplasticity, that will change your, your connections in your mind. And just that idea that if I want to actually change something, I don't have to like sort of like hunker down and kill myself. I just need to like expand my timeline and just create rituals around things I want to do. And then over time, my brain will adapt it. To me, is is life-changing. And it's changed my life for sure. And I found that, that people found it to be empowering. Beautiful. Thank you. And tell us if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Sure. Uh, it's either my website, charlieharari.com, H-A-R-A-R-Y, or Unlocking Greatness Book. If you go to unlockinggreatnessbook.com, we've got the book. The, I have a podcast on this and a newsletter and this stuff that you can download, the workbook for free that we, we built. And there's a lot of stuff there if anybody's interested in more. And you have a final challenge or call to action for those seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, I, I guess the real challenge would be to push yourself to be empowered when you feel most disempowered. And when you take responsibility for your feelings and tell yourself, I'm going to figure out how to be empowered in moments that have otherwise disempowered me, you will figure out how to do all this stuff. Once you take responsibility for your feelings and you don't abdicate that to the world, you will find yourself more creative and resourceful to getting it done and feeling this way. Awesome. Well, Charlie, this has been a whole lot of fun. Thank you for taking this time. And I wish you lots and lots of luck and empowering thoughts and, and goodness in, in your book and your teaching and your real estate and all you're up to. Thank you so much. An honor to be on your show. And thanks so much for it. I think what Charlie shared is really powerful because it's easy to do and it's easy not to do. And yet, if you take that time, you find the courage and the humility to go deep within yourself and ask the hard questions and take that extra dose of responsibility, folks really might be total jerk faces and really suck in a lot of ways. But nonetheless, if you can zero in on what's going on inside and get to the bottom of that, it's such a more empowering, fun, liberating, rejuvenating way to live your life and to respond to the world and work oh so much more effectively so that you're just having more fun and making it a better environment for everyone. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep283. That free profile and assessment for considering a change in careers is available by texting PROFILE to 345-345. That's pro like professional sports and file like my wife files our baby's nails so he doesn't scratch his face, which is very sweet of her. Thank you, honey. And I hope you will push subscribe if you have not already. You'll hear from our next guest. It's Leah Weiss. And Leah has spent some good time with the Dalai Lama, learned a thing or two about mindfulness that she's shared with folks at Stanford and beyond. I hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. 
you can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.